We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10. I'll sit there for a second and we'll dive into this. Um, this, this past Monday, I came across a headline um, that really caught my attention. And I wanted to share it with you. Um, the, the kind of stuff that my, the, the, the iterations my mind goes through when I see stuff in the news. It's coming. This is, I'm, I'm a, it ties into the sermon, y'all. Don't worry about it. It's, it's coming. It says the Atlanta Falcons did it again. What's this guy? Um, so my mind, right? So my mind goes to what did they do again? And I started to dive into it, and um, we are now three weeks into the NFL football season, um, and the Atlanta Falcons sit 0-3. They haven't won a game. Um, they have lost games that they were good enough to win. They've lost games that they were good enough to win. They scored enough touchdowns. They kicked enough field goals. But, but some way or another, <clears throat> they ended up losing the game. Out of 32 teams in the NFL, um, currently right now, the Atlanta Falcons are ranked number six in the number of points scored in all of the NFL. They sit number six out of 32 teams. There are five teams above them, and all of those teams that are above them, one through five, um, they are 3-0. and oh. I take that back. One other team is 2-1, and one, but they lost to one of the teams that are 3-0. and oh. The Atlanta Falcons, though, sit 0-3, oh and, and they're ranked sixth and all of the NFL for points scored. That was a problem for me when I started to dive into this. Y'all, I did some work to find this stuff out because I don't watch football like that. Although they sit in the top six for points scored, they sit in the bottom two for points allowed. They, they, they sit in the top six for points scored, but they're second to last in all of the NFL for points allowed, meaning that they don't have any defense. They're doing enough to win. I mean, the, the stats prove that they've scored enough points. They're doing enough. They're, they're, they're advancing the ball. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, but they're allowing their opponents to do too much. So here's my preacher transition. <laughs> John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Th that means to me that we have a diabolical spiritual enemy that we must defend against. And if we don't defend against him, we will find, watch this now, we will find ourselves losing in areas of life that we've done enough to win in. I'm going to say it again. We, 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 if we don't defend against our spiritual enemy, what we're building, we will find ourselves losing in areas of our life that we know that we've done enough to win in. 
You ever say to yourself, I killed that. I did that. I did that. But you still lose. That is how many of us feel about life. I know that I'm praying enough. I know that I'm churched enough. I know that I'm investing enough. I know that I'm giving enough. But for some reason, for some reason, I keep dealing with the same stuff, losing in areas of my life where I should be winning. And I know I should be winning because I've done enough. Can I announce something to you today? You ain't got no defense. Shout defense. Shout defense. Many of us are so frustrated with, <laughs> with marriage and we're frustrated with relationship and we're frustrated with career. And I know I'm giving myself to it the way that I'm supposed to. But you haven't been defending it. You know what makes it, I, I'm intentionally not on social media. You could, you could probably say, that it's because of my immaturity. <laughs> um, I don't know how you want to judge it, but I can't do social media. Because some of the stuff that I see, you know, I live vicariously through my wife's social media every now and again. And, and, and some of these posts I see just frustrate me. Hashtag grinding. <laughs> Hashtag putting in work. Hashtag getting it done. Whatever hashtag you want to say. What, what, what I want to do today when you walk out of this place is for your post to be hashtag defending. Because you're putting in enough work, man. You're putting in enough time. You just don't have no defense. Listen to me. Atlanta has all of the talent in the world on the offensive side of the ball. They can't stop their opponent from doing whatever they want to do. Some of us can't stop our enemy from doing whatever he wants to do. So today I want to talk four points. Shout four points. Jordan, that's okay? Four points, okay? Okay. Four points on things we must defend against. Let's go to verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Can I tell you something? Stop right here. This is not my point. But your enemy wants you to stop your work. We started a great work about four or five weeks ago, and your enemy wants to stop your work. He is willing to do anything he has to do to stop you from working. He doesn't care about you. He cares about your work. Verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. The first thing that we have to defend against uh, is this destructive reminders. Shout destructive. Y'all better class than that. Destructive reminders. Judah had already gotten word. God's people had already gotten word that their enemy was going to attack. Um, and, and now here comes their fellow Jews um, to constantly remind them of the threat. 
As a matter of fact, the text says that they told us 10 times over. They just would not let it go. Every time they saw him, hey, listen, you know they're going to come attack. Hey, listen, I'm just letting you know, you know, you know you got a threat. And, and when I read into the text, and it's, it's in verse 12, the reason why this group of Jews um, was so adamant about talking about the attack was because this group of Jews lived closer to their enemy than they did to what they were building. Listen to this now. They, they live closer to, to their enemy than what was being built. And the only influence that they had was the influence of their enemy. They weren't being influenced by what was being built. And what I want to tell you today is that you have to be careful of people who are more influenced by your threat than they're influenced by your God. They kept coming back to him, listen, you know they're coming. I know they're coming, man. Calm down. I heard you the first time. They already told me. But you do know they're coming. And the only reason why that was on their heart and in their mind was because they were closer to their enemy and not to what they were building. Reminders, destructive reminders will halt your work. It will stop your progression, and we don't even know it. There are some people that cannot know that you've got certain things on the fire. I'm preaching good this morning, y'all. There are certain people that you can't tell you're dealing with a certain, I can't even tell them I'm dealing with this because they're going to flip out. Oh, I got a good one. Um, you know the story of David and Goliath? Yes? Okay, we got some, some Bible scholars in here today. It's good. Goliath was no doubt a giant. Um, he was no doubt needed to be feared. But what made Goliath such a problem wasn't his size. I want you to think about the story. It wasn't his size. It was the fact that Goliath would come out every day for 40 days and he would tell them what, who he was and what he was going to do to him. Every day he came out and just reminded them every single day who he was and what he was going to do. So now you know how we work. Day one, it didn't really do him. But day two, Goliath came out and the Israelites were like, did he get bigger? <laughs> you know, Goliath will come out one day and he'll flex his muscles. You know, he'll stand like, what do you think will happen if he punch you in your head? Like, <laughs> what do you think would happen? We start to run these different narratives based upon the reminders that we get. And you have to be careful of the people who are in your, in, oh gosh, in your sphere that are influencing you about what your enemy can do. So watch me prove my point. David comes down. He's dropping off Chick-fil-A to his brothers. He gets there. Watch this, y'all. He gets there. And Goliath comes out and, has, and he does what he had done for 40 days. And David hears him and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this clown? Listen to me. Because David had not been influenced by the reminder. So he shows up un, un, oblivious to all of the reminders and says, who is he? Because I can whoop him. Listen to me. Be careful about the people that you have in your life because it will stop you from progressing and building for God. 
remember when me and my wife, we got ready to build our first house and we sat in the car and was like, there's only a handful of people that we can tell this to. And then the wrong person finds out and they say, you're too young to build a house. You were like 21, 20, I don't know, 20, 21. Don't you think you're too young to build a house? I didn't need to hear that. Because now you're making me unnecessarily nervous. You're creating apprehension that I did not have before. You're you're conjuring up anxiety inside of me that I don't necessarily need. And when it comes to building for God, you have to make sure you surround yourself with people who can speak to the promises of God. You have to surround yourself with people who can stand on the word of God and let you know exactly who you are in God's word. You have to make sure that your influences are right. Because if you don't, they'll talk you out of it. They will talk you out of what you know you can do. You ever, you ever say to one of your friends, I should never listen to you. I know I shouldn't listen to you. That's what I'm trying to get across to you today. You have to make sure that you surround yourself with people who can affirm for you who you are in Christ. Who, who, who can stand with you in faith and, 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 and display faith that can move, move mountains? You got to have those kind of people around you. Amen? Amen? Let's push for more. Let's keep point number two. Verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Y'all know my teaching style too much already. Y'all laughing already. Second point that we have to defend against is exposed places. The first action that Nehemiah takes in defending what he was building for God was to send reinforcements to the areas of the wall that wasn't as tall as everything else. He gets word that his enemies are bearing down on him and they're getting ready to attack. And then he sends people to the exposed areas of the wall because the the exposed areas of your wall, the exposed areas of your life are access points for the enemy. Unforgiveness is an access point. Fear is an access point. Doubt is an access point. Lust is an access point. So Nehemiah says, listen, I have an enemy that is going to use that access point against me to tear down what I'm building for God. I have to send people to that area to make sure that they cover my exposed areas. Now, here's the key in the whole whole thing. He sends people to the exposed area who were well-equipped. He sent them with swords. He sent them with spears. People that could do something. You see, we tend to send good people to our exposed areas. You got to send God people to your exposed areas. Because I don't want you going to the exposed area if you can't do anything. If you can't pray for me and pray for yourself, then don't go to my exposed area. You have to, oh gosh, y'all, this, I don't know why this is turning into a relationship thing, but the, you have to surround yourself with people who can, who can listen to me, guard, your, guard, guard the exposed areas of your life. 
When I feel when I'm when I'm feeling depressed, I heard the word depression. When I when when I feel depression coming upon me, I've got to be able to call people and enlist people who are equipped to cover my exposed area. When I start to feel anxiety, I have to be able to call people who are equipped to cover my exposed area. When I feel like I'm going to quit, I have to be able to call people who are equipped to cover my exposed area. The problem that most of us have is the the friends we have can't fight. Okay, I'm just kidding. Okay. Point number one. I ain't hear nothing. Mm-hmm. Point number two. Let's get number three. Let's go to verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side, at his side while he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The third attack that we need to defend against is dominant reactions. Say that with me, dominant reactions. I don't want you to walk away from this conversation today um, thinking that um, the only thing that you need to do is defend. Um, Because if, if you don't have any offense, you can't win. And and I I think that um we can be guilty of being dominated by certain reactions. When, when, when we learn that we have an enemy who's attacking and we're dealing with something in life, what we tend to do is we, we, will, we will drop the shovel and we'll pick up our spear and we'll just start defending. What I found in, in, in Nehemiah's response is that there has to be a bit of ambidexterity to your Christian walk. I'll I'll make it more plain. You have to be able to fight with one hand and build with the other. You see, for many of us, we never get to see the glory of God, nor do we get to see the impossible happen in our life because we spend all of our available faith (laughs) surviving. We spend all of our available faith defending. And we never get, get, get into a position where we can see God do the miraculous in our life. What I learned from Nehemiah is that I have to be able to make sure that I'm fighting with one hand and building with the other. Because the victory, let, let me tell you, that the victory in all of this is that if you can continue to build while you're under attack. Ask your neighbor, can you build while you're under attack? There has to be a measure of ambidexterity in the Christian walk that you have. You've got to be ambidextrous. There was one thing I heard about uh, George Foreman when he first got on the scene. 
he was a big guy, and obviously he was, um, he was, he, he looked the part. But what I heard about him is that he was one of the first heavyweights that could knock you out with either hand. Do you have that ability in the spirit realm? Are, are, are you able, are you, are you talented, are you unusually skilled with either hand? Listen to me. Are you able to build a family and defend it all at the same time? <laughs> Listen, are you able to live for God and establish your relationship with him, but then to defend it all at the same time? You have to be able to do both at the same time, and that is the victory in your Christian walk. Can I just say it like this? Can I say it? I don't want to offend anybody. You shouldn't collapse under an attack. When, when, when you know that the enemy is after your happiness and after your joy, you shouldn't collapse because you've been attacked. Oh, my God. I can't believe he did that to me. Listen to me. Nehemiah says that's not what we're called to do. You got to get so good that I can, I can fight you with one hand. I can beat you with one hand tied behind my back, Cody. Talking to Cody, y'all. You have to be able to defend and fight all at the same time. We miss blessing after blessing after blessing because we're out of position. God wants you to have a shovel in your hand and continue to build this thing that he's doing in your life, and you're over here with a spear in your hand trying to fight off your enemy. He didn't call you for that. He called you to do both. You got to be talented in the spirit realm. Oh, gosh, you got to be talented in the spirit realm. Okay, let's get the last point. I'm talking too much. Y'all getting anything? Okay. Let's go to verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Our fourth and final point for today, um, fourth and final thing that we need to defend against is isolated battles. Shout isolated battles. Isolated battles. <clears throat> because of the nature of the work um, and how large the wall was, it made sense and it was most effective for the workers to be spread out. We've been talking about this and the progress that uh, Nehemiah made was, was record-breaking. He had rebuilt the wall. He rebuilds the wall in 52 days, a wall that sat dilapidated and unrepaired for hundreds of years. But in 52 days, he gets the work done because he found a way to be efficient with his work. And although um, his, his strategy for building the wall um, was to spread everybody out and everyone was assigned a certain section and he would assign a section to this house and he would assign a section to this group of people, it didn't work when it came to defending the wall. It made sense to go build. I mean, everybody got their assignment and then they left that place and then they went all along the wall to rebuild it. But when it came to defending the wall, Nehemiah says we got to do something different. 
Because, because if we didn't do anything different, if there was an attack, then that would leave one group of people or one family trying to defend the entire wall. They would be isolated by the enemy by chance simply because they attacked at that area of the wall. So that would have left the Allens by themselves to just fight and defend the wall. That would have left the ways to by themselves to defend the wall. That would have left the Underwoods by themselves and the Griffins by themselves. I think I got some Feltons in the building today. I mean, it would have, it would have, it would have, it would have left the, the guns in the, in, in, at the wall by themselves to defend it by themselves. And they would have had to fight the entire army by themselves. But Nehemiah says, I got a communication strategy. He says, if there is an attack, I'm going to keep the trumpeteer with me. And if there's an attack, I'm going to have the trumpeteer sound his horn, and then we all know that we have to come to that area and fight because there's a family under attack. I think you might be missing my point already. There is a sound that will bring God to your space. When you feel like you're under attack and you're not going to be able to make it, there is a sound, there is a rallying, rallying cry that will get people on the scene to help fight for you. What I learned about what Nehemiah says, he, he basically says this, there is no battle that you face that you should fight by yourself. There's a sound that will get everybody in your area to help you fight. So I started thinking, and I said, well, God, isn't, isn't that Sunday morning? It, because, listen to me, when, when we show up here and we start to lift our voice, I'm letting God know that I need you here. I surround myself with people, like-minded people, who understand what I'm going through. And all I have to do is start belting out a praise unto God to let everybody know I need help. Because scripture says where there are two or three. That's why Sunday morning is so important. I, I know the CDC says and the government says that you, you, know, you, you, you shouldn't show up in places and gather more than 50 and all this different stuff. And what they made us comfortable with is being isolated by ourselves. What I'm trying to tell you is that the way that you overcome an attack, the way that you defend your family, you run to the house of the Lord so that you can let out a praise. Listen to me. I'm telling you that you don't have to fight your battles alone. You don't have to defend your family alone. You don't have to defend your name alone. When you show up to this place and you start to let out a sound, heaven will move on your behalf. Heaven will move for you. We, 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 we have families trying to fight <laughs> for themselves. What Nehemiah says, this is a way that none of us have to go through this thing alone. 
I don't care what you're dealing with today. I don't care how big it seems. I don't care how you feel about it. There is a place that you can go and let out a sound. And you automatically get reinforcements. I, I wonder if there's anybody in this place that has felt like they've been isolated dealing with a thing by themselves. Once all I hear you that I got I to gotta defend and I hear you that I got to keep building, but I feel like I'm doing this thing all by myself. And what I'm trying to get you to realize today is that if you're here, you've got reinforcements. Watch this. Nehemiah says, listen, we let out the sound. And he says, our God will meet us there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Listen to me. He says, listen, all you do is let the sound out. And our God will meet you there. You may not know what to pray, but all you got to do is make a sound. You may not know what to say to him, but all you have to do is make a sound. He says our God will show up and fight for us. So can I say this to you, and I promise you I'm getting ready to let us go. Heaven is waiting on you to make a sound. Heaven's just waiting for you to make a sound. You have, you have reinforcements. You have the support that you need. But heaven is waiting on the sound. There is a sound that will move heaven on your behalf. There is a sound that will give you all the help that you need. Can I say it like this? Are you man enough? Are you woman enough to make it? God says to Moses, <laughs> he says, listen. I heard the cry of my people. And now I'm here to deliver them. Israelites had no idea what they were doing. But God says to Moses, I heard the cry. Oh gosh, y'all, listen to me. It might be tears streaming down your eyes. Heaven hears the cry. So Wanzel, listen to me. I've, 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 I've said to myself, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I, I don't have the strength to continue to fight. I don't have the strength to continue to build. I showed up this morning to tell you, heaven is waiting on the sound. Stand to your feet. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.